morning, everyone. Uh, today's passage comes from James uh, chapter 4, verses 13 to chapter 5, verse 6. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, as it is you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Come heed me, my brothers. Come heed one and all. Don't brag about standing or you'll surely fall. You're shining your light and shine it you should. But you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. If you're holding heaven, then spread it around. There's hungry hands reaching up here from the ground. Move over and share the high ground where you stood So heavenly minded you know earthly good i got to admit I do love a bit of Johnny Cash um, Apologies if you're not into country music but there you go, you should be So, um, My name is Scott, I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Pracker Really good to be with you this morning um, that song that was just on, Johnny Cash wrote it, it's called No, uh, no Earthly Good. And did you catch the line that's in there? It's repeated a couple of times. Um, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Perhaps you've heard that phrase before. It's one that gets thrown around a little bit. Um, it's, it's the idea that someone might be so heavenly minded, they're so caught up in spiritual things and in, in the heaven to come that they're so heavenly minded, they don't, there's no earthly good. They don't pay any attention to the issues that are right there in front of them. It's an interesting question, isn't it? I wonder what you think. Can someone be so heavenly minded they're no earthly good? Here at church, we're going through the book of James. Uh, it's part of the Bible. It's a letter written by a guy called James. He's Jesus' brother, and he ended up being a pastor in a church in Jerusalem. And he's writing to people who used to be part of his church, but now they're they've kind of they've scattered out from Jerusalem because of persecution in their city against them. Now, James had never heard that quote, but he'd never heard someone say, "You can be so heavenly minded, you know, earthly good." That wasn't coined until around the 1800s. 
Um, he, so he'd never heard it before. But today we're kind of listening to what, what I think James's answer would have been to that. But more importantly, we, we, we hear not just what James is saying to us, but what God is saying to us through, that, through, through James. So why don't I pray, and then we'll kind of look into that passage that, that Jen just read out for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's clear, and we pray now that you would give us uh, clear minds and help from the Holy Spirit to understand what you're saying to us and what it means for us today. Please be, so please be with us now, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, again, in, in the passage Jen just read for us, you probably noticed James talks to two different kinds of people. Uh, he starts in chapter 4, verse 13. He's talking to uh, business people. That is, they've got all sorts of plans um, for making money through their business. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, he switches to talking to rich people and and in, in verse 4, we find out uh, they're rich landowners. Let's take a closer look now. Let's get to know them a little bit better. Firstly, um, the business people. They're all about making money. Look again at how James describes them in verse 13. He says that they're uh, about them, that, that, that they're those who say, Today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now, James is not having a go at people who are small business owners or who make plans uh, for their life or anything like that. But really his, his critique is, you catch it in verse 16, that, that the schemes these people have, their plans to travel around and make money, it's really a form of pride, of, of arrogance. So verse 16, he says, As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. These business owners, you see, they're all about themselves and their plans, how they're going to make stacks of cash because they've got the brilliant ideas and how successful they're going to be, or, or, or so they think. These are the, the proud business owners that, that James talks to. But then secondly, he also talks to the rich landowners. <clears throat> These people have lots of money. Like we're talking... Very, very wealthy, the mega rich. In verses 2 to 3, you see they've got wealth, clothes, silver, gold. In verse 4, they're so wealthy, they own so much land and property that they, they can afford just to bring in other people to do all the work for them. In verse 5, we see they live in luxury and indulgence. Like they, These guys are the super rich of, of the ancient world. But you probably noticed, as we read through it before, there's a real sinister side to them as well. Their riches have come from oppression. So, verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. They don't pay their workers. They, they're exploiting those who are less well off. And that's not all. They also use their influence to rig what happens in the court system. So verse 6, uh, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. These poorer, innocent people cannot get justice because these rich people, these landowners, are manipulating the system and now it's unfair. Those are the rich landowners. There we have two kinds of people James is talking to in this passage. 
business, uh, the, the proud business people, the rich landowners, two kinds of people. But James says to both of them, you have the same problem. This is the problem that really lies at the heart of our passage today. You see, there's something wrong about what both groups are doing, that on pride on the one hand and, and oppression on the other hand. But James goes beyond that. He scratches beneath the surface of what they're doing and he shows behind that what's really wrong with them, what their real problem is. And the problem is this. They're living as if this world is all there is. The proud business and the rich landowner, they're living as if this world is all there is. Let me explore that a bit more with you now. Let's look again at what James said to the proud business owner uh, from verse, chapter 4, verse 13. It says, now, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. These proud business people, they they just want to go out and make money. Perhaps they want to be like the rich landowner one day. But the issue is that life, it, it comes and it goes so very quickly. Maybe this was just me, but when I was a little kid, I always thought it would be fun to be able to touch the clouds. Um, they look so fluffy, so light. You know, who didn't, who didn't want to do that? Maybe Was that just me? Uh, um, anyhow, as I got older, right, I found out there's such a thing as, as low cloud, clouds that's really low to the ground. You can stand in amongst it. And then one day I saw some low cloud. This is not where I grew up, but this is low cloud. Anyway, um, it was right there at the front of our place. And so there I am, about four or five, I kind of rushed down outside to, to touch the clouds. I was utterly disappointed. <laughs> For two reasons. Firstly, there's nothing special about touching clouds. Like you can be out there touching them. And there's, there's nothing to feel. It's such a letdown. But secondly, I was disappointed because they went away so quickly. You know, there I was getting out. And, and two seconds later, the clouds have just blown away and they vanish. James is saying, that's what our lives are like. We're here today, but before you know it, we're gone. We've got two young kids in our family. A lot of you will know them. There's Isaac at the front, he's three. Eva behind him, she's five and a half. Someone once said to us, having with with young kids, um, when you have young kids, the days are long, right? There are some days that are just a slog. And all you can do is hope and dream. You're looking forward to bedtime when you can put the kids down and just have a moment of peace to yourself, right? Some days are long, but the years go quickly. It doesn't take long for your kids to grow up. One moment, there's a three-year-old there like Isaac. The next moment, they're 13. And you're left wondering, where did all that time go? And that's life, isn't it? It's not just with kids, but that's what it's like for all of us. I remember being 15 and thinking that 20 was so old and so far away. Then you get to 20 and, and 30 feels like a long way off, doesn't it? But then you get there too. Maybe 50 seems like a long way off. Maybe 70 seems like a long way off. But the years roll on and before too long, you're there, aren't you? Unless, of course, you don't make it that far. 
Uh, just last weekend was the Queen's birthday long weekend. And you had the, the, they had the big Queen's birthday honour roll. People get awarded for all sorts of things that they've done. And Shane Warne was on the Queen's birthday honour roll. Think about Warney for a moment. Love him or hate him, well, he was a professional athlete that was at the top of his game. Whenever anyone talks about greatest cricket teams of all time, Shane Warne is on that list. He, he was phenomenal at playing the game. And earlier this year, Warney's on holidays, he's getting ready to have dinner with his friends, and then suddenly his heart just gives out on him. And at 52 years old, just 52, Shane Warne is dead. Our life is a mist. One moment that we're here, and then we're not. So James's point is, make sure you're ready for what's next. Don't live as if this world is all there is. Don't spend your life chasing after all sorts of business possibilities and making more and more money and being proud about your successes. Instead, get ready for what's to come. Get ready for what's to come. Again, we see uh, a similar problem with the landowners, land, land, the rich landowners. They're mega rich. Right? They've got everything the world has to offer. But essentially, James kind of says to them, well, so what? Who cares? None of it lasts. It's all going to go. Verses 2 and 3. Your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. It's true, isn't it? Of all the things that we have, none of it lasts. I mean, we might live with the illusion that, that, that riches do last and... Maybe for us in life, we never have experienced it when, when things just disappear. But it happens, and it happens all the time, so frequently. Think about the people recently in, in northern, northern New South Wales where, where floods have just swept away entire lives. People have had their houses full of their stuff, and suddenly the, the, the rain has poured and poured, and it has just washed their houses completely empty. Or earlier this week, now I don't know much about the stock market, but I read an article about this. Earlier this week, a hundred in just in Australia, a hundred and sixteen billion dollars was wiped off the stock market. That's an incredible amount of wealth. Some of Australia's richest people lost twelve billion dollars in a matter of hours. Like, I will never see that much money in a lifetime, let alone lose it in a matter of hours. You know what I'm saying? Ah, you might say. But the stock market's a gamble. They should have been more wiser with their money, played safer. They'd still have it. But tell that to the people who lost their money when the State Bank of South Australia collapsed in the early 90s. The the bank's supposed to be a safe place, right? But that it collapsed in 91. and, And how many people were affected by that? You see, we can fill our wallets and our homes with all sorts of stuff. And it seems, it feels like it makes life secure. Seems to give us a sense that we're going to be okay if anything happens, but it's just an illusion. It doesn't really protect us at all, does it? Wealth comes and wealth goes. Possessions wear out and die. Stuff just doesn't last. And so James's point is simple. He says, don't live as if this world is all there is. 
Make sure you're ready for what's next. Don't spend your life putting your trust in riches and gathering more and more and more for yourself because riches come and riches go. Instead, make sure you're ready for what's to come. Now, James has one more thing to say about this. Another reason why living as if this world is all there is, why that's not a good way to go. We're going to get to that in a moment. But first, I reckon there's going to be some of us here, maybe this is you, we're not really sure about all this God stuff. And the idea that there's more beyond this life, I'm just not convinced that that's true. And so, well, it just makes sense to live with this world as if, as if this world is all there is. And that makes sense because if there's nothing else, why wouldn't you? If that's you, I just want to pause really quickly and talk into that question. What makes, what makes Christians think there is something else? What convinces us? In fact, actually, I can't really talk into that now. It's, it's really too big of a question to deal with right now. So if this is your question, I just wanted to invite you along to something. Um, on Thursday nights for the past few weeks, uh, we've been running something called the Life Series. Uh, it's for people who aren't really sure what to make about Jesus, who just want to explore it a bit more. There's kind of 25 or so of us in the room. We meet at um, Zito Cafe in Tea Tree Plaza, 7.30, Thursday nights. And this Thursday, that's the question that we're thinking about. What convinces Christians that there's more beyond this life? What evidence is there? How does it change things? So I just want to say, if, if, if this is your question, why not come along? Why not come along just, just for a night? Check it out. What have you got to lose? I could stand here and give you the, the really quick answer and say, well, geez, Jesus is the reason that we're convinced that, that there's more beyond. But I reckon you probably want a bit more. So what have you got to lose by coming along? Let me get back into that passage now, though. Um, James is talking to two groups of people. That there's, there's proud business people and there's rich landowners. They're doing different things, but, but behind the wrong that they're doing, James says, there's a bigger problem. You're living as if this world is all there is. James already said that's problematic because life doesn't last and, and possessions don't last. But now James gives another reason why you shouldn't live as if this world is all there is. Now he's talking in this part to the rich landowners. Remember, they're oppressing people who, are, who don't have as much. They're obstructing justice. And James says to them, you're living as if this world is all there is. And that's a problem because God's judgment is coming on you. The idea of God's judgment, it kind of poses a problem for a lot of people today. Even those who like the idea of Christianity and like some of the things that Jesus said. The problem can kind of be summed up in in these words of Oprah. Oprah once said, I used to believe in a God who judges. Now I just believe in a God of love. A God who judges? No, thank you. A God who loves? Yeah, I'll take that. At the same time, we do want things to be fair, don't we? We love the idea that people who do evil are brought to justice and we hate seeing people who do evil just get away with it. 
that's why I reckon this podcast became such a hit. I'm not sure if you've heard of it before. It's called The Teacher's Pet. Um, it's a little Australian podcast. A, a journalist from Australia just, just put it together. But it went global, right? I mean, across the world. It's not just number one in Australia, but also in uh, New Zealand, in Canada, in the UK. Why is it so big? Because it, it hits on this idea that we all feel we hate injustices. Take a look at the, um, the trailer to it. Well, it just feels like a decision that's against the interests of the victim and the families and in favour of the alleged perpetrator. Lynette Dawson was reported missing by her husband, former Newtown Jets rugby league star Chris Dawson. I just don't believe for a moment that she left us voluntarily and then stayed away all of this time. There have been two inquests into Mrs Dawson's suspected murder and despite both coroners recommending that charges be laid against a known person, the Director of Public Prosecutions believes there's not enough evidence. She had bruising on her body and then told this lady that she'd um, lived with a very violent husband. Can you tell me what his personality was like? Narcissistic. Well, he was a, a teacher at the school. He came to the school in 1979 and took the sports coaching class in year 11. How old were you then? 16. He was the cool guy, the fun guy. Well, I didn't want to be in a relationship with him. I wanted to get away. He said I was going to get a hitman to kill Lynn. And you know who you are? Funny, engaging, really good teacher. Unless someone can prove otherwise, I'll always have that positive image in my head. He was literally grooming the entire class. And he rang me and said, Lynn's gone, she isn't coming back. I've lost a dear friend and I've carried it for years. And I miss her every day. I just want justice. And I'd love her little girls to know she didn't leave them. You caught the major um, part of the storyline there, right? There's a, a young woman, mother of two, married, disappeared over 37 years ago, hasn't been seen. And according to the podcast, there's one guy who all the evidence points to that he is guilty, that he, he harmed her and he hasn't been charged. That is, until the podcast generated so much public interest that the police reopened their investigation, they charged the guy and he's actually currently on trial right now in Sydney. Uh, it's just a little Australian podcast though, but it went global. Because it, it, it hit that nerve we all feel, that we long for justice, for things to be put right. You know, we don't want the Hitlers of the world to get away with it. And I think it's fair to assume, when we read about these rich landowners in James chapter 5 here, who are oppressing others, who aren't paying the poor their wages, who are obstructing justice, when we read about these guys, I think we want them to be brought to justice too, don't we? And that is exactly what James says will happen. Look at verse 4. Chapter 5, verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. He's going to do something about it. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. And now the implication is obvious, right? 
The day of slaughter is here. God's judgment is going to come against you. It might be something we have to wrestle with a bit, but deep down, I do think we want a God who will judge, who will judge right from wrong. Friends, that is what the God of the Bible says he will do. But it does mean we can't live as if this life is all there is. As if we can do wrong and it just doesn't matter because you know, we can get away with it. God will bring justice. So are you ready to meet your God? Of course, none of us are, are we? None of us could stand before God and think, oh yeah, I kind of meet his standards, we'll be all right. All of us need Jesus. Because Jesus is God's way to forgiveness. Jesus is God's way to real security beyond just the here and now. Jesus is the key to living as if there's more to life than just this world. So, just a couple of quick implications for us then. Maybe you're here today and you realize you need to do business with God and you need to do that today. You're not ready for what's to come, but you want to be. If that's you, can I say, I reckon making that decision will probably be the hardest decision you'll ever make, but it will be the best one as well. Why not come and find me afterwards or tell someone who's here that you trust? There's no better time to do business with God than than right now. We'd love to just be beside you as you do that. Or again, you might be here and you think, I just need to check things out a little bit more first. Again, let me say the invite to the Life Series this Thursday. We're going to wrestle with what makes Christians convinced there's more beyond. What have you got to lose by coming along? Why not check it out for a night? But I do know there's a lot of us who are here today and we're, we're convinced. We agree with James. Yes, yes, there is more to life than the here and now. If that's you, if you're in those shoes, I just want to say, great, and, and press on. Press on with Jesus at the center of life. Remember, he's the key to being ready for the life to come. Jesus at the center. But also, I just want to say, there's, there's something we need to guard against. And it's this. We can say that there's more beyond, and we can really believe that. But kind of functionally, we can still live as if this world is all there is. We can still live being so worried, so caught up in the here and now, and you know, things like getting ahead now and making sure life is sweet now. We, can, we, we say that there's more to life in this world, but really our heads and our hearts are, are fully invested in, in this world. The, the thing we need to guard against is saying we are convinced that there's a life to come, but really we, we, we live with our heads and our hearts invested in the here and now. How do we guard against doing this? We need to make sure that our theology, what we believe... We need to make sure that that, that shapes our values, that, that what we believe shapes what we treasure in life. You know, um, that eternity that Jesus has won for us, do we value that? Do you treasure that now? 
is that, is that where our minds are? Is that what our minds are meditating on? Is that what our hearts are truly yearning for? And then does that shape our, our habits and the way we think about the future? You know, are we more concerned about the next 10, 20 or 50 years? Or do we actually think about, what about 200 years from now? And if in 200 years I'm going to be there, what does that, what does that change? How does that, how does that shape what I do here and now? How does that shape what I pursue now and, and how I spend my time now? And, and how does it change what I do right now? If I'm living this life in view of what's to come, I'll submit my plans to God, under God, and his desires. I'll do that more easily, even when I know that that will be costly for me. I want to make sure my life in the here and now doesn't dishonor the God that I'm going to meet. That isn't proud or oppressive or... Or anything like that. I, I, I wouldn't pursue riches now when it comes at the cost of others. And we could go on and on there, couldn't we? Let me get back to the question we started with right at the start. Is it possible to be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good? I think what we're seeing in the Bible now is no. Because if we are truly heavenly, rightly heavenly minded, if we're living this life in light of what's to come, then that will shape how I live now for the better, for good. I'm going to pray right now that God would help us live those lives. So will you join me? Gracious God and Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope we have of the world to come. Where the pain, where the crying, where the mourning, where the sadness of this world is done away with. Please, Father, help us be convinced of this. And we pray too that we wouldn't just believe it, but that we would live this life in light of what's to come. Please help us shape our values and our habits and our actions around who we are because we're your people who are waiting for what's to come. We need your help in this, God, because on our own, we, we, we just don't do it. We, we get caught up in this world. So please be with us and please help us for this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.